tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Thank you for the opening, Clinton. The old, old story, it never gets old, does it? Praise God, we don't stand up here with a new story. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is unchanging. Praise God, he is unchanging. We want to welcome each one of you to worship. Tonight's going to be a continuation from our last message, which was back in March. And at that time, we talked on the truth about sin and our need for repentance for sin. So tonight, if you would, open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If there were to be a theme for this last message and the message that we have tonight, it would be in verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it reads, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see here in this verse, the Bible tells us that repentance that leads to salvation comes through godly sorrow. And I would submit tonight that godly sorrow is brokenness. Brokenness is what we intend to, talk, to preach on tonight. Brokenness. I have several quotes. Or here's a quote re, 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 uh, referring to brokenness. It says this. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever because of brokenness. We all understand that Peter was broken after he denied Christ. He experienced that godly sorrow that led to repentance following his denial of the Lord Jesus. On the other hand, we know Judas. Judas exhibited the sorrow of the world. And we know that that, uh, that uh, Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Vast difference between Judas and Peter. Another quote, by embracing our brokenness, we don't come to Christ's feet occasionally, but we stay at his feet continuously. Continuously. We heard about that this morning. May we come to our God, to his feet continuously in brokenness. Mustang horses are descendants of escaped domestic Spanish horses that were brought to America by Spanish explorers dating back to the 16th century. The name Mustang is derived from the Spanish word Mustango, meaning a wild or masterless beast. Mustang horses are known for having a wild nature, though they can be tamed and ridden just like other horses. However, this process of taming these Mustangs to ride them 
takes takes longer than a normal domestic horse. Mustangs are not used to being handled by people. And as, as a result, they behave like these wild masterless cattle. So cowboys used to catch and they would tame and sell mustangs in the Wild West. These cowboys were called Mustang Runners. And it's argued that Mustangs in their natural state as wild masterless animals, these Mustangs cause issues in their environment as they compete with native wildlife. They damage their habitats. They overgraze, they trample vegetation. Even cattle ranchers complain about having to share land with these wild horses who are, who are considered to be nothing more than a nuisance as they roam without purpose. Without purpose, that is, unless they can be caught and tamed and saddle broken. Sounds a lot like the human race. Running wild, roaming, living without purpose. Without purpose, that is, unless we can be tamed, submitted to the master. Prior to being broken and tamed of our own wild, worldly flesh nature, we too are just like the Mustang, wild, masterless, and without direction, set upon destruction unless we have been truly broken. Throughout history, a wild horse is considered to be meat, meat when it has been tamed and will accept the bit in its mouth to follow the commands of its trainer. Like us, the horse has to make the choice to accept a bit in his mouth. Brother and sister, when we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, when we allow him to guide us, it's as though we're allowing the Holy Spirit to put that same bit in our own mouths. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we understand what Jesus meant by this word meek, it gives new meaning beyond the definition in Webster's Dictionary. That word meek. I want to think about that word meek. In Greek, that word meek is called praus. Praus. Praus is translated as meek or gentle. Now understand here that biblical meekness does not equate to meekness or to weakness. Meekness means power under control. Now the secular use for the ancient Greek term praus was used to describe the taming of a wild animal and often a horse. In the New Testament language of Koine Greek, the word for humbleness or humility was praus. Stay with me here. Don't, don't lose me. This word praus was borrowed from the military. You see, praus related to horse training. So what would happen here is the Grecian army would find the wildest horses from the mountaintops surrounding Greece, and they would then bring in these wild, unbroken horses into their camps to be broken in. And after months of training, the Greeks would sort these horses into several different categories. Some were just discarded. Some were broken and made useful for burden-bearing. Some were useful for ordinary duty, but the fewest of all 
the fewest horses of all graduated as war horses. War horses. When a horse could be fully broken, praus, or meek, that horse had passed the conditioning required to become a war horse. And that horse's state of being was described in praus. You see, the war horse had power under authority or strength under the control of a master. Now, a war horse never ceased to be determined, strong, and passionate. However, the war horse learned to bring its nature under discipline. It gave up being wild and unruly, out of control and rebellious. You see, a war horse learned to bring that self-nature under control as it surrendered its own will to its master. And as a result, this war horse would now respond to the slightest touch of the rider. And as a war horse, it would stand in the face of cannon fire. It would thunder into battle. It would, it would stop at a whisper. The war horse. Brother and sister, do you see the familiarity between the wild Mustang and ourselves? The question for us, for you and I this, this evening, is are we war horses for Christ? Have we surrendered our own flesh nature, our wild, unruly, sinful will to our own Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, tonight? Or are we a determined, strong, passionate people for God, a people who have our sin nature under control? Are we praus? Have we been meat for the Master? You see, just as the Greeks realized that praus, through brokenness, so too, praus, meekness for the follower of Christ comes through brokenness. How can we, God's people, stand in the face of battle? We must be broken. We must be meek for the Master. This evening's title for our, me- this evening's title for our message is The War Horse. Blessing through brokenness. The war horse, blessing through brokenness. Now we're going to focus on really two theme verses tonight. First coming from Psalm 51, verse 17, which says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We also find in Psalm 34, verse 18, David the psalmist says this, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Thus we have the war horse, blessing through brokenness. Before we go further in this message, let's all sing together hymn number 107. 107. Notice the title, The Sacrifice of God, A Broken Spirit. Have mercy on me, O my God. In loving kindness, hear my prayer. Withdraw the terror of thy rod, Lord, and thy tender mercy spare. Through this message this evening, brother and sister, we need to see that brokenness is not a place that our to only to leave us and forsake us. May we see that he breaks us so that he can remake us, conforming each one of us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, one preacher described brokenness in these terms. Repentance can be described as going down a highway and then experiencing a change in attitude that leads to a change in, a change in behavior, a 180-degree change in direction. That is repentance. That turning from sin leads to that 180-degree change in direction going down the highway. If that's repentance, then by definition, brokenness is the off-ramp by which God uses to cause us to change direction. Brokenness is the place where we get off. It's the place where God stops us. It's the place where He stops us in our tracks, and we see the end result if we would continue in our ways, if we would continue to go down that same road. Brokenness is the place that we come to when we realize that all we are, all we do, in and of ourselves, is solely and miserably insufficient. Brokenness is what leads to repentance. As we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, brokenness is godly sorrow. But brokenness is what leads to repentance. Brokenness is defined as our being crushed under the weight of our own sin. The problem that infects us, the problem that we have within our culture is this warped idea of what brokenness truly is, what brokenness is. In the world's eyes, brokenness is never a good thing. Brokenness is something that no man should have to experience. The world says brokenness in any shape and form by the culture's standards, that is a problem. The culture would say that our God exists to make us comfortable. God exists to give us happiness, and it's his job, perhaps, to fill all of our dreams. In essence, the world says it's the purpose of our God to help each one of us live out that American dream. Perhaps it's maybe our town motto, water, wealth, contentment, health, this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You see, there's no room for brokenness in our culture. Brokenness is viewed as something uncomfortable. It's the end of ourselves. It's in the end of who we currently are and where we're headed. And the world says avoid it at all costs. Heather and I have a Dodge Durango. It's a great car. Fantastic car. I like everything about the car, but there's one exception that we have with this car. And that's that the engine light came on a couple of months ago. And in spite of continuing to take our car in the mechanic, we can't seem to get it off. I've wondered if it wouldn't just be best to disconnect the light, disable it, so I don't have to see that there's a problem. We preached this in Sugar Grove, and they said the problem is that it's a Dodge. Perhaps we should disconnect the light. But that brother and sister describes the culture in, what, in which we live. There's, there's within our society this drive to mask or to cover up anything that would indicate there's Trouble in our lives due to sin that would lead us to repentance. We avoid brokenness. We don't want it, and so we disable the engine light of our lives so we can continue on in oblivion and not have to repent and bow before the God of heaven. It's not just a problem with the culture that we live in. I believe that even within the church, we too often believe that this process of being broken should be over with immediately. when we face consequence for sin, 
We can embrace this notion that if we just repent, everything's going to be made right, that our God will just immediately restore us to health, wealth, and prosperity. Instant gratification. If we truly embrace brokenness, we would fully understand what the Bible refers to as sackcloth and ashes. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read several verses here, starting at verse 20. We're going to read through verse 23. For understanding and comprehension, I want to read from the New Living, um, I think the New Living Version. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Sackcloth and ashes. Repentance. How often do we wear sackcloth and ashes? How often do we have anguish? For our sins. Now, talking of sackcloth and ashes, I don't mean literally, but how often do we have godly sorrow and mourn for our sin as we stand before a holy, righteous, and just judge with remorse and full acceptance of the consequence of my own sin? I know so often for myself, my first thoughts are, how do I hide my sin? How can I escape with the least amount of consequence? And we know that, brother and sister, is not brokenness, sorrow and remorse for the offense, for offending a holy God. That is not sackcloth and ashes. When is the last time we wept over our own sin? By definition, brokenness is being crushed under the weight of that sin. In Psalm 51, verse 17, David says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Each time the word broken is used here, it's, it, it refers literally to being crushed. Brother and sister, the path to blessedness, the, the path to blessing in our Christian walk, it takes us through brokenness. And through brokenness comes my own response of, Humility and obedience to those painful circumstances, both through the application of God's Word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But brokenness is more than weeping. It's more than sorrow. It's more than a crushed spirit. It's more than humility. Because many who lie before God and and groan in sorrow are not truly broken in spirit. You see, the world sees God as as one who exists for man. For those who are truly broken, there comes this realization that, brother and sister, we exist for the glory of our God, for our Master, just like the war horse who is fully and totally surrendered to the will of the Master. 
And only until we come to the end of ourselves can we fully glorify our God, the Master. God cannot be glorified so long as we hold on to our prideful self-nature and our self-centered dreams and ambitions. All of self needs to be nailed to the cross of Christ. But it is ultimately God who breaks us. And until he does, we'll never be a war horse fit for the king, fully obedient and ready to go into battle to be used for his glory. There is this movement taking place in our culture that would have us say, I'm okay and you're okay. We know that's heresy. In fact, there's those within modern Christendom who would say that when we come to Christ, there's no longer this need for brokenness. That Christ has taken all that away. And I want to dispel that notion for us this evening. Brokenness is a right and a proper response from God's people in all of all stages of our walk with Christ. It is appropriate whenever we fall and fail. When we fall into sin. This evening I want to look at King David and a period of his life through the Old Testament chapter, Psalm 51. Turn there if you would with me. You know, I'm going to change this up a little bit. Before you go there, why don't you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to give some context for this 51st Psalm. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's look at the first verse here, starting at 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11, 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. We'll stop there. But here King David is in Israel, and it's likely the month of April or May. The winter rains have stopped and spring has come. This is the time when kings went forth into battle. King David was a warrior king. And David knew that this was the time when kings went to war. And here in in 2 Samuel chapter 11, Israel was at war with the Ammonites. And David, as the leader of his army, he should have been engaged in battle. David was a warrior. That's what David did. However, we know from this verse here, we know that David, he sends his army off to fight, and here he tarries in Jerusalem. Like the war horse that is broken and prepared for war, a war horse, its purpose is not to be idle. David here was idle. He was tarrying in Jerusalem when he should have been active, he should have been busy, he should have been living with purpose for the God of heaven, fulfilling his purpose as God's chosen king over Israel, leading his army. When we look at reasons for needing to be broken, there's three reasons that we're going to find here from 2 Samuel chapter 11, all areas in which David failed, leading to sin and ultimately this need for brokenness. I'm going to read James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. But I think you'll see this progression even through David's life. James 1, 14 through 15, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed, that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
We're going to see this progression here in David's life. These words of James held true for David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And brother and sister, they hold true for you and I today. Three causes that led David to sin. Three causes that will lead you and I. And ultimately, each one of these points here demonstrates the need for brokenness that leads to repentance. Let's look at the first issue that David had in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The first point is idleness. Idleness. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 says, David tarried in Jerusalem. David was idle. We see that here. Idleness is activity to no purpose. It's often said that idleness is the devil's playground. Paul speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says this referring to idleness, activity to no purpose. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 12, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. Verse 13, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. Idleness, brother and sister, is like that wild, restless horse wandering without purpose. Active, but for no purpose to advance the kingdom of our living God. David should have been like that war horse. He should have been a man of God here, engaged in battle, wearing the full armor of God, actively engaged in spiritual warfare, but here he was idle. David tarried in Jerusalem when he should have been engaged in battle. And as a result, he was dabbling with sin. Let's look at the second cause that we can see here that leads to David's sin and the need for brokenness. Vain imagination. Vain imagination. Look with me at 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. And it came to pass in an eventide that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he, from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Here we see a man of God, King David, who's known as the very man who had a heart after God himself, a man who fails and falls because of vain imagination, a man who has lost sight upon God and the need to be engaged in battle. Romans 121, speaking of vain, wicked imagination, says this, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, David knew God, but when David should have been worshiping God, when David should have been engaged in God, rather than fleeing this temptation, we see here that David acts upon vain imaginations, and as a result, he eventually succumbs to lust through his imagination. That leads to the third cause for sin, leading to the need for brokenness. And that is acting upon temptation. Acting upon temptation. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 3 through 4. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Aliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Young man, young woman. 
you are to be useful for Jesus Christ, we need to be men and women who are engaged for his kingdom. You will find that when you are idle and when you have vain imaginations and when you act upon temptation, just as James chapter 1 says, sin will have been conceived and you will be drawn away and enticed by your own lusts, which brings forth sin. With David, we know the rest of the story from 2 Samuel 11. When sin is conceived, he takes this woman, he seduces this woman, Bathsheba, and from this chapter it could be possibly interpreted that he rapes Bathsheba, he attempts and, and conspires to cover up his sin, so he eventually commits murder with her husband and has Uriah, her husband, killed. And then we come to the confrontation of David with the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 where Nathan confronts David's sin and he says those piercing words to David, Thou art the man. David is confronted with his sin and the consequences are pronounced. Now turn with me to Psalm 51. This psalm was written approximately one year after Nathan's confrontation with David about his fall and his sin with Bathsheba, and murder, and so on. It's approximately one year later that David sits down, and he writes this psalm. Psalm 51 is one of the, the most beautiful, emotional, and heartfelt pictures of brokenness, perhaps in all of Scripture. Let's read this psalm together. If you would, imagine with me, David penning this psalm after what he has done in 2 Samuel. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, 
Open thou my lips, and my praise shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Fill thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bolas upon thy altar. A beautiful psalm. A psalm of brokenness. We see in this psalm that brokenness is a right and a proper response to sin. David is not writing this psalm as a way of berating himself or being self-deprecating in a way that, that, that he can somehow appease the wrath of a living God for his sin. Brother and sister, the response of David is the right and proper response that should come from you and I whenever we have offended an all-righteous and a holy God. This is appropriate because sin scarred and stained the very soul of David, just like it does with you and I. Let's reread the first two verses of the 51st Psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from thy sin. Notice the terminology here that David refers, that he uses in reference to his sin. Words like, blot out my transgression. Wash me. Cleanse me. You see, David here could only appeal to the mercy of God and His grace and His love. So I want to look at this verse, this, this word, blot out. This word, blot out. This term is used numerous times throughout Scripture, but blotting out refers to a debt that must be paid. We see this term, blot out, used in Exodus chapter 32, verse 33. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out, blot out of my book. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Blotting out. Revelations chapter 3, verse 5 says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, in the account of the flood, we read this. And every living substance was destroyed. That destroyed is the same word for being blotted out. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed. They were blotted out. From the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. You see, here in the flood, God essentially destroys, He blots out the earth. He wipes the slate clean and He starts fresh. And David is asking God here to wipe His slate clean. He needed the Lord to blot out His sins and to clean the slate. David is beseeching God to blot out His sin. The next term in Psalm 51, verse 2, 
that David refers to as wash me. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. You see, this washing is, is like scrubbing dirty clothes on a washboard to be plunged again and again until the soil is removed and cleansed. David is asking for that washing. He's asking that his sins be wiped from the record. And finally, David asks for cleansing. Cleanse me of my sin. That cleansing references a ceremony to be made ready for religious use. We won't turn there for the sake of time. Leviticus 11.32. But David realizes that his sin with, with Bathsheba, it has scarred him. He is stained. And as a result, he needs his sin blotted out. He needs to be washed and he needs to be cleansed. His sin has brought on the scarring and the staining that has consequence. How many of you here are scarred and stained as the consequence of our own sin? I believe every one of us here have been scarred and stained. We cannot be fully broken until we understand the consequence of our sin. There's four points I'm going to cover for which we need to for which we need to experience brokenness, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And the first point I want to make here from Psalm 51 is that brokenness is right and good and appropriate because sin scars us and stains us. And we need to be cleansed, washed, and our sins blotted out. Secondly, we see that brokenness is right and fitting because sin creates within us memories that will remain forever with us. Sin creates within us memories that will always remain with us. Now, brother and sister, our response could be to quote the 103rd Psalm, verse 12, that says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This verse is scripture, and it is absolutely truth. Our God is merciful, he is gracious, he is forgiving, and he does remove our transgressions, and our sins are nailed to the cross of Calvary. Praise God. But nowhere in the word of God have I found that God removes the memory of sin. Our God can forget our sins, but brother and sister, you and I, we don't forget. And I believe we have been created not to forget. You see, here in Psalm 51, David couldn't forget his sin. Look with me at Psalm 51, verse 3. David says this, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Here David is a year after his sin, and he says, My sin is always before me. He's saying, I can't forget what I've done. My sin is always there. So why are our sins always there? Why could he not forget? Why has God not why has God not granted us forgetfulness? I'm going to look at three reasons. Three reasons we have been created not to forget. Number one, if we could forget sin, we could never fully testify of the goodness of our God. If we could forget sin, we would never fully testify of the goodness of God. We, each one here in Christ Jesus, brother and sister, we have a testimony. 
And we can exalt Jesus Christ and His goodness because of what He has delivered you and I from. We remember our sins so that like David here in Psalm 51, we can then be broken and crushed under the weight of that sin so that we might testify to the amazing grace of our God. And I would submit that were we all, were we to all be able to stand here and bear our testimony, we would long to erase that memory of our sin. But we don't forget so that we might exalt Christ and His work on our behalf. We are broken over our sin because it creates memories that stay with us. So let me ask you, when is the last time you've shared your testimony? I must share, there was a, we were together in our small men's group here in West Modesto, and we talked about sharing a testimony. We debated over that for quite some time whether it's prideful to share a testimony. And then we proceeded to share our testimonies one with another. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing prideful about our testimony. There is nothing glorious in a life of sin that our Lord Jesus Christ has delivered us from. So when is the last time you've shared to the goodness of God and His amazing grace by sharing your testimony with the world. Each one of us has one. We haven't just been raised in a church. We've been delivered from the depths of hell. Secondly, if we couldn't remember our sin, we would be susceptible to repeating that sin over and over. Imagine if you could forget that fire is hot. We would probably be toast without the memory of of what a fire would do, we'd get burned over and over because we wouldn't have a true and a proper respect for that fire. And that's how we would be towards sin if we couldn't remember our sin. We remember through brokenness so that our God can correct us, so that He can corral us, so that He can call us to repentance through our brokenness. And thirdly, without remembering our sin, we could not rejoice in victory over sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. We couldn't see growth or sanctification in our own lives through the working of the Holy Spirit if we couldn't remember who we once were. When's the last time you've reflected upon your own life, that that life of sin where you once lived? Do we reflect and weep out of brokenness for who we once were before our Lord Jesus Christ lifted us out of the miry clay, the muck. I heard it once said from a preacher that you cannot take from me the memory of my sin because it reminds me of the goodness of God. It reminds me of who I once was, and it reminds me of the grace of God that His work in me may not be complete, but it is effectual. Hallelujah, I am not who I ought to be, but praise God, I'm no longer who I once was. When we understand this, brother and sister, our only right and proper response before a holy, righteous, and just God is brokenness. The third point for brokenness being a right and proper, for being right and proper in our lives is because sin is a direct offense. It is an affront to the holiness of God. Look with me here at Psalm 51, verses 4 through 6. David writes, 
against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desiredest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Notice here, David says that it is against you. It is against you, O God, who I have sinned. And brother and sister, ultimately it is against God who we sin against. Who were Bathsheba and Uriah here, but ultimately the very people that God himself had created. David realized that he had sinned here against the holy and unrighteous God. The whole world stands guilty before God because he is perfection, because he is holy, because he is truth, and because he is righteousness. And David acknowledges in verse 5 that he was conceived in a sin nature. He was born with that sin nature, and he acknowledges that he was shaped by sin in his life. But here out of brokenness, David comes to the end of himself, knowing that God does not allow his children to sin successfully. Praise God, he convicts us of our sin, and we come back to him only through brokenness. If we had time, I would take us to, the, to, to, to Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, where in verse 21 we read of the son who's been gone, the son who's left everything that the father had already provided. Security, all of the wealth and all the riches of the father. We know the story. But the son is broken. And what does he do? Out of brokenness he repents. He turns from his wicked ways and his life that was immersed in sin, life in the pig pen, his selfishness, and he returns to the loving arms of a just, a holy, and a righteous father. Yet, a father who is merciful, who is loving and gracious at the same time. Luke 15:21 says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. That is brokenness. Now, if you would, turn with me to Revelations chapter 19. Brokenness before a righteous and a holy God. Revelations chapter 19. We're going to start reading here at verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my Jesus. That is our God. This is the Lord and Savior of of mankind. This is the God, brother and sister, that we serve. We see here that God does get angry. Our God does pour out his wrath. And unlike what the world would have us believe, our God does have holy and righteous, perfect wrath. 
the same God poured out that same wrath upon His Son, Jesus. And our God crushed and killed His own Son. And I know we all believe this. But yet too often we buy into this heretical thought that, that He would somehow let our own sin slide. That God Himself would turn a blind eye to our own sin and our own shortcomings. Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, bled and died because of the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. Jesus Christ was the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God upon the cross. He is our propitiation. His death was for your sin and mine, and it appeased the wrath of God. Brother and sister, we never take that lightly. This is the one against whom we sin. When we sin, we, we sin against the Creator of all of the universe. It is only because of His grace that He allows you and I, in light of all of our sin, it is only because of, of His grace that we are allowed to live one more day and have one more breath. Brokenness is an absolute necessity within our lives. Is there any other response to sin when we know our God, when we understand his character? The fourth and the last point I would like is that brokenness is right and proper because through brokenness comes restoration. Through brokenness comes restoration. Look with me at Psalm 51, verses 7 through 12. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken. Notice, no, notice this here. The bones which the Lord breaks, it is our God who break, brings us to brokenness. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bro, bones which thou hast broken may rejo, rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Apart from brokenness, we will never receive restoration from our God for sin. David here asked for restoration so that once again he could serve God and have a right and a proper relationship with him. So that once again, he would be able to serve and to worship the living God with joy and gladness. You see, David recognized that reconciliation only comes through a work of God upon the heart. And brother and sister, it's not enough to simply confess sin and to experience Christ's cleansing. We must also allow our God to renew a right spirit within us. And he will. Only then will we be able to experience victory over sin and not succumb to temptation. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Brokenness is right and proper because 
Only through brokenness comes restoration. The war horse. The horse that has undergone brokenness. That is the horse, or rather, that is the Christian who is ready and prepared for spiritual battle. That is the man and woman in Christ Jesus who is ready to live a life in victory for the Master. Ready and waiting for His Master's every command. Through brokenness, we are blessed. We are fit for you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pros, the broken. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, brother and sister, we have a blessed inheritance coming. For whatever sin is unconfessed tonight, as the prophet Nathan told David this evening, thou art the man, or thou art the woman who needs to come to Jesus, to come to Him through brokenness. just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, I would be lost. But mercy and grace, my freedom bought. And now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come empty or I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ, the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am.